Someone once said that it doesn't matter how high you can jump theologically, what matters most is how straight you walk when you hit the ground. Basically, how you live what you believe. We were in uh, 1 Thessalonians, we're coming to the end of this letter, and we're about to begin 2 Thessalonians, and instead of just running past these last four verses, I really want us to slow to a crawl and take one verse at a time, see and savor the gospel goodness in these verses as we see really the gospel lived out and everything that this letter has been pointing to actually gets summed up here. We're going to see how worship can deepen and how God's beloved in Christ can truly become more beloved to one another, how relationships can grow healthier, and it's all by that urgent love in light of the return of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his imminent return. And I've called these messages at the end of 1 Thessalonians a prayer, a kiss, an oath, a life. And we're in verses 25 to 28, and these last four verses are about praying. They are about greeting. They're about reading. They're about living. Paul is wrapping it up, and today we're going to focus part one on verse 25, praying in faith. It's going to be followed in weeks to come by greeting in love in verse 26, and reading in hope in verse 27, and living in grace in verse 28. And all these things are really knit together because of God and his faithfulness. It's all because God is faithful. The the faithfulness of God is a thread that runs through the whole Bible, and it's the warp and woof of our existence. It's foundational. We read in Psalm 33, the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 145, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. And surely you have seen the faithfulness of God shown to you in your life, It is seen most vividly in salvation. If you are a believer, the most miraculous thing happens. God transforms the lost, and he makes the dead to live. And he perfects and and preserves uh, his chosen ones for their promised inheritance, uh, those who are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who are trusting Christ's finished work on the cross, must continually then tell themselves the truth. I've been chosen of God. I am secure and safe in Christ forever. I've been effectually called. I'm faithfully kept. The word of God is at work in my life. And if I am truly saved, I will be fully saved. Whatever I go through, because I have infallible assurance of salvation based on the infallible word of God. And then you come to the end of this letter and Paul is literally saying, just live this then. Street level, rubber meets the road, down to the nitty-gritty Christianity. And what we see today is the beloved of God in Christ must pray for their fellow believers. The beloved must pray in faith for fellow believers. It's the first thing we see, verse 25. It's a very short verse. Brothers, pray for us. Brothers, pray for us. The letter ends like it began with prayer. He began in chapter 1, verse 2, praying for them. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Now he is asking for prayer. Pray in faith. Brothers, pray for us. You'll notice he says brothers. It's it's the word for brethren, brothers and sisters, fellow believers. 
Because only Christians have access to God. Only Christians can pray to God and, and actually be heard. Only we can genuinely call on God as our Father. Only believers have the Spirit to help us in prayer, to pray according to God's will. So the question you have to ask yourself is, am I one of the brothers? Am I a, a, a part of the brethren? Am I a brother or sister in Christ? Can I do this? Do you know Christ by faith? Are you trusting in his finished work at the cross? Do you believe that he died in your place at the cross for your sins? He paid the penalty that your sins deserved. He died the death that you deserve to die, and he was buried, and he rose on the third day, and he's coming back for those who believe, and their inheritance is sure, it's unfading, it's undefiled, it's reserved in heaven for every believer. Do you know Christ by faith? Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. You'll be one of those brethren that needs to pray for one another. He says, pray for us. It's a plea. He tells them in verse 17, pray without ceasing. Do it consistently. Do it continually. Now, he says, put it into practice. Here's a prime example. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the preaching team. Pray for the ministry team. Pray. He uses a New Testament word that's the general word for prayer. It's the most comprehensive word for prayer in the New Testament. It's in the present tense. He's saying, I need your ongoing prayer support. It encompasses every need. You notice there's no details of specific requests. Just pray. Brothers, pray for us. Speak to God. Ask God on our behalf. Pray for us. Brothers, loved by God, show the love and pray for us. Take the time to pray for us. The whole church should pray. We depend on our friends for spiritual support. For prayer support. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy are not proud and they are not foolish. They know to serve God they need help from friends. You know it too. You need the prayers of fellow believers. So they ask for prayer. And not just, hey, pray for us once. They're asking for an ongoing place in their prayers. We need you. This is an urgent ask. Brethren, bring us before the throne of grace a lot. Paul's pattern was to pray for fellow believers. Prayers for believers are pouring out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5. In chapter 1, he prays for the work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. He's thanking God for his work of grace. Chapter 2, he's praising God for the word of God being at work in believers. Chapter 3, he's praying that they would consistently have growth in their faith. In chapter 5, he says, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Everything give thanks. We saw in verse 23, a prayer in harmony with God's will for the redeemed. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was praying for fellow believers. And now, he asks them to pray for him. It's his pattern. Nestled in so many of his prayers in the New Testament, there are requests for prayer. This is what we often skip by to try to get to the good stuff, we think. And we kind of skip by these places that prayer is front of mind. 
Paul knows the power of prayer by experience. And so he's asking for prayer often. And you'll notice in many of his letters, he's saying, you need to pray for us, for this thing, for that thing. Here's the situation. In Romans 15, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. And here's the appeal. Here's how it comes. By our Lord Jesus and the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Very specifically, he says, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service to God may be acceptable and that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He's saying, I need you to pray this. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, you must help us by prayer. Prayer is far more important than we think it is. The work of the gospel needs prayer more than we think it does. You must help us by prayer so that, you, that, that we would give thanks, that many would give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There's a blessing in prayer. In Ephesians 6, we're all excited about the armor of God, and we should be. But then in verse 20, it says, pray for me. He gets intensely personal. Pray for me that words would be given to me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel by which we are saved. In Colossians 4, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep praying. Don't stop. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear how I ought to speak. Pray for us. Philippians 1.19, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Paul is saying, I'm confident of this, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, things are going to be open and free for me to preach the gospel. In Philemon 22, he gets hyper, hyper practical, and he says, get a room ready for me. Prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping through your prayers that will be graciously given to you. Prayer is so important. Pray for us, brothers. Hebrews 13, the writer says, pray for us. We are sure we have a clear conscience, and we desire to act honorably in all things. So I urge you the more earnestly to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Pray for us. We'll see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, that we would be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He's going to use your prayers. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Paul knew his work was part of God's larger work. Prayer was essential. His best allies going forward in the ongoing work of the gospel are Christians who pray. It is often said that not everyone can go, but everyone can pray. Pray for us. I know it's easy for our minds to play tricks on us and think prayer doesn't work. It's the hidden work, and I keep doing it, but I don't see anything happening, so I'm going to quit. And we're told over and over again in the Bible, keep on praying. Brethren, pray for us. See, prayer keeps your heart close to God's. A sensitive heart comes to God in prayer. He inhabits our praises and inspires our prayer. Prayer is your best worship. Oftentimes, and you might have been tempted to do this today, we, we sing beautiful songs and worshiping God, and we sometimes think worship is just when we sing. And I love the songs we sing, and they're so 
biblically based and they're so gospel-centered. But you might have been tempted to say, you know, I, I sounded pretty good when I was singing today. Oftentimes people say, oh, the people were really into it today and they were really worshiping. Well, prayer is your best worship. And when your heart wells up with praise to God, you sing the praises of God. Prayer is the expression of your heart to the faithful God. And that your faith and your self-denial and, and growth and even your resting in Christ is all experienced by prayer. To anchor it in the worship that is prayer, where you seek a will and a purpose beyond your own. Someone said this, the chief purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to ours, but our will to his. Paul Tripp said, the heart of prayer is not communicating your needs, but submitting your soul to the wisdom, power, love, and rule of your heavenly Father. Brothers, pray for us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things I asked for. I am profoundly grateful to God that he shut doors in my face. There are plenty of things you and I have asked for that we're very glad that God did not bring about and did not allow. And Thomas Watson just captured the heart of prayer when he said this, The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but prayer fetched the angel. God wants your prayers. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a parable about how we should always pray and not lose heart. Because our minds play tricks on us, and we think, well, you know what? It's not working. And by the way, when we tell someone, hey, I'm going to pray for you, often it's like 3.2 seconds of concentrated prayer until we're on to the next thing. But Jesus told this parable in Luke 18 to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he told this story of in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Brothers, pray for us. Keep crying out to God. Keep praying. He says, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Prayer is a mark of faith. In Ephesians 6.18, we are instructed, pray at all times in the power of the Holy Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert in it with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Because prayer is hard work. And prayer is hidden work that no one sees, and so we think we can get along without it. In Philippians 4.6, we're told, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Brothers, pray for us. You know, it's encouraging when you know that others are praying for you. 
They ask God on your behalf for good. I think of the prayers of Paul for the Ephesians. In in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, he prays, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. What a prayer. Brothers, pray for us. In Ephesians 3, In verse 14, he says, for this reason. And by the way, the reasons he's praying is because of the gospel goodness of God in Christ when he showered his mercy upon lost sinners and saved them. And the outflow is praise and prayer. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. He's asking for good for them. He's saying that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a prayer for fellow believers. The beloved must pray in faith for fellow believers. God wants your prayers It's encouraging when others pray for you and they ask on your behalf in accordance with the word of God for God's will and ways. It is an honor to be asked to pray for others. It is not a burden. It is an honor. Pray in faith, believing God. Pray for us, brothers. Church, pray for your leaders. Church, pray for each other. Pray for all people. Pray for your soul. Pray. Focus on God and experience Express a desire for his will and his plan to be realized in the life of fellow believers. Like, pray like crazy. Pray like you mean it. Pray that, like it all depends on God. Pray to please God. Pray God's word. Pray persistently. Because prayer grows your soul in conjunction with the word of God. The apostles in Acts 6 said this, We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. If you just do all prayer and you say, I don't need the word of God at all, you could easily be tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine. If you say, I'm only going to read the Bible, I'm not going to pray, you could easily become conceited and puffed up and proud and think you know everything. You need to pray. You need to pray for fellow believers. God changes your heart when you pray for fellow believers. He renews and refreshes your heart. I know that when I start to have a hard heart towards someone and I start praying for them, God changes my heart. And I actually begin to love them instead of hating them. We need our souls to be renewed and refreshed. And it's done oftentimes as we're pouring our hearts out to God and resting in Him. There's nothing like There's nothing like the spirit-given word of God and and spirit-driven prayer 
to defrost my icy heart, when my heart is cold, when my heart is hard, what I'll often do is recite Psalm 100, one of the first passages of Scripture I memorized as a new believer. I will recite Psalm 23 and maybe some other verses, and I'll just pour my heart out to God, and I'll pray by name for people, and it helps me, and I will even go through a list of people that I'm struggling with and just pray for them. And pray good things, like God, that you would bless them, that they would walk in freedom in Christ, that they would know the gospel truth, that they would have repentance in their heart, that they would please you in their life, praying good, declaring dependence on God, and deciding to bless and not curse, because prayer is your best work. And it's the very thing that can get tossed by the wayside in a Christian's life or actually never get developed because no one sees it except God. It's interesting in this passage, just the last four verses, there is this emphasis, this focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is before the Lord. This is, this is by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 28. Prayer is a dependent cry of a humble child of God. My friend John Hun, he's a pastor out in Tennessee, and every day of the week he posts a prayer. When, I, when he first started doing it, I thought, wow, he has a lot of time on his hands. And now what I think is, what a beloved brother, and he is praying, and he's just sharing it with us as well, and they're not short prayers. They don't fit in the little feet of the window, the window feed, <laughs> the window of the feed. Let me just give you part of one. They bless my heart. O Father, God of all glory, the only true God, righteous and holy are you. To you I come because you have unlimited power and unlimited knowledge. You are never weakened. You are never confused. You know and see all. Nothing is hidden from your sight. You are aware of the need of the birds of the air. Your eye is even on the sparrow. I need to remember to be reminded that you do not lose sight of me. You are intimately aware of the details of my daily life. You know of each encounter I will have today, so I seek your wisdom. May I possess a holy and healthy fear of you, Lord, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1.7. I cannot begin to be wise until I have a proper view of you. I am moved and motivated to walk with you today. I need wisdom. I lack wisdom. This might seem problematic, Lord, but you said in James 1.15, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him come to me and I will give generously without reproach. I praise you because you will give me as much as I need as often as I need it. You will never reproach me for coming to you, though minute by minute and hour by hour I do so. You don't tire of your children. Forgive the many times that folly has ruled my day. I know the damage of being foolish. I know the strength of being wise. My flesh cannot produce wisdom. Fill me anew, Spirit of God. That's a prayer. And you might just have the energy to only pray, help me, Jesus. And that's a prayer. I texted a friend, and I just said, I'm praying for you, and I listed some Bible things I'm praying for my friend. And he texted back, and he said, that means a lot. I'm adding you to my prayer list to pray that God's love and word and Holy Spirit will fill and lead you in all that you do as your heart is humble before him. 
And these are the kind of prayers we should be praying for each other. It's what it looks like to pray in faith for fellow believers. To yield to God and just take the time to go to Him on behalf of fellow believers. For God's glory, for their good. In Acts 2.42, it tells us that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, but also to the prayers. They were praying prayers to God. Samuel, in the Old Testament, when he gave a farewell to the people in 1 Samuel chapter 12, the people were downcast. They knew that they had sinned. They knew they needed the mercy of God. They knew they needed the forgiveness of God. And they say to Samuel, pray for us. Pray for us. 1 Samuel 12, 19. And in verse 23, Samuel says this, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. He's saying, I'm praying for you and I'm going to continue because I would be sinning if I didn't. He says, I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. Think of his faithfulness. Think of how many times God has come through. Think about how many prayers have been answered. Keep going. No matter how you feel, believe God. Trust the unwavering word of God and of the unchanging God. Declare your dependence on him. Know that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. Keep praying. Pray for us, brothers. Prayer is good for your soul because obedience is good for your soul. Prayer works because God is at work. Prayer is your pipeline to see the providence of God unfold. So pour out your heart to God in praise, in petition. Point yourself to the all-powerful God. Pray to the faithful one who is able. He is able. Pray for us, brothers. You do not pray to a bankrupt God. He owns everything. He is in control of everything. He oversees everything. So, beloved, as we are coming close to the end of this beautiful letter, we're thinking through praying in faith. We'll be thinking through greeting in love. And some of you are going to be really disappointed about what a holy kiss is. (laughs) And reading in hope and living in grace. And we have to ask ourselves questions. You need to ask yourself Do I increasingly long for the imminent return of Christ? Is my love more urgent because of it? Are my relationships growing healthier? Am I resolutely committed to the word of God? Is my life marked by grace? But when you think of prayer, the question you must ask is this. Is my worship on point? Is my worship on point? The heart of prayer is worship. God is God. We need him desperately. We need God like our lungs need air. We need him like oxygen. On Sunday, January 14th, 1866, Charles Spurgeon preached one verse. And you know, he would do that often. He would take a verse and just go for a really long time on that one verse. But he would bring in all these other verses as well. But he preached Psalm 147, verse 9, which reads, He gives to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. That was his text. And in that sermon, he said this, You are commanded to come as an invited guest. 
How shall you be denied? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. He said, the cry of the young raven is nothing but the natural cry of a creature, but your cry, if it is sincere, is the result of a work of divine grace in your heart. New life God has given you, crying to the source where it came to have communion and communication with its great original. And then he said, we can, we can teach our children to say their prayers, but we cannot teach them to pray. He said, you can make a prayer book, but you cannot put a grain of prayer into a book. You may read those prayers for 70 years, and you may yet never once pray. For prayer is quite a different thing from mere words. And he went on to say, if you have cried unsuccessfully to God, cry on. Go again seven times, yes, 70 times seven, and remember that the mercy of God in Christ is your only hope. He said, cling as a drowning man clings to the only rope within reach, and if you perish praying for mercy through the precious blood of Christ, you will be the first that ever perished that way. Cry on. And then he said, but believe also. We need to pray in faith for fellow believers, no matter what our mind tells us. No matter if we start thinking, I've been praying and praying and it's not working. No matter if we say and talk ourselves out of the fact that prayer is essential. I know that sometimes we get drained. I know that all of us do that, and we, we need to be rejuvenated and recharged. And I remember a number of years ago, we were in South Africa on a missions trip, and a friend of mine and I were trying to remove a stump, a really big stump. We tried pickaxes. We even tried a big chain wrapped around an axle of a truck. Nothing worked. And we worked ourselves to the point of exhaustion, actually in, in extreme heat, uh, to the point of delirious exhaustion that wasn't healthy for us. And we had to go inside into some shade and drink some water and eat some food before we could even attempt to go back out. And you, you need, in the, in the drained condition of your soul at times, you need to just stop and open your heart up to God and be really honest with him about whatever it is on your heart and on your mind. There is a uh, trail above where we live in, here in Orange, and it was closed about two years ago, and it just reopened, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, we found it, and I, I've been on that trail like three or four times this week already, and there's something I love about it. It was Before it was a bit overgrown, and it was kind of narrow, and so I usually didn't take that trail, but now the trail has broken new ground. It's wider, there's more details, there's, there's larger, uh, there's more little paths, and I think that's kind of like what God does in our hearts when he renews our minds and refreshes us in Christ when we pour our hearts out to him. It's just there's more freedom. 
there's some, some renewal that goes on in our hearts when, when things just get settled out and not so jumbled up. Uh, some of us have had some sickness over the past couple years where you, you, you catch something. And I think I've had it twice now. And what happens is you, it, it gets hard to breathe. It gets hard to breathe. And what, what they say is you have to take deep breaths to regain your capacity to, to breathe well. And so when it's hard to breathe, it, it's painful even to breathe, and it's the worst thing to feel like you can't take a breath. And just to, to slow down and take some deep breaths, and that's why it, it's good to hike hills and climb up steep hills and get your heart rate up and, and just force yourself to breathe. And I can tell you, know, I had something in January where it made me not be able to breathe very well, but praise God, I put, you push through that pain. We all have things that feel like it's just choking us in life. And we are working our fingers to the bone trying to figure it all out and do the math and talk to people and we forget to talk to God. I know I do way too often. And I know that our, our hearts can play tricks on us at times. There was a man named John Ryland who was an English pastor. He lived... 1753 to 1825, he was the founder of the Baptist Missionary Society. And his wife, Betty, a devout Christian, was dying. And her mind, as it often happens when someone is dying, her mind was in great distress. She was thinking thoughts that weren't in line with a devout Christian. And he said to his wife, Betty, what is wrong? And she said, I am dying, and I have no hope. And he said, my dear, where are you going when you die? And she said, in her distress, in her anguish, I'm going to hell. And he was having his own anguish of heart, but he tried to cover it with some humor and he also tried to chase her doubts away because he knew she truly loved the Lord. And so he said to her, Betty, what will you do when you get to hell? Will you pray? And she said, oh, I will pray anywhere. I cannot help but praying. And he said, hmm, well, that's interesting. You know what they're going to say, don't you? Well, here's Betty Ryland praying. We won't have anybody praying here. Throw her out. <laughs> and she realized how absurd it was to think that God would cast her soul that was seeking Christ and cast her soul away. Keep crying out to God. Someone has said, when, while the child can cry, it lives. And while you can besiege the throne of mercy, there is hope for you. And prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. The beloved must pray in faith for fellow believers. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Lord, we praise you that we can come to you in prayer, that you want us to come to you in prayer that you do not push us away, that you are not too busy, you are not distracted, you are 
intimately acquainted with all of our ways and always, always with us. And so we praise you. We ask that you would open our hearts even more to the, to the greatness of praying to you and what that means and keep humbling our hearts that we, such that we would pray. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen.